Well, we are in this series mixed up. And my wife and I spoke last week. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and watch the message. We talked about silent frustrations. And I'm going to do a very quick review. We talked from Abraham and Sarah and how they dealt with family frustrations. And in Genesis 13, their nephew Lot left and took the better land. We talked about frustrations of, of dreams not coming true, of how they, they could not get pregnant and were getting older and older. We talked about the struggle of when dreams are not coming to pass. We talked about silent frustrations when you start running ahead of God and start birthing burdens instead of blessings. We, we talked about silent frustrations that leads to being frustrated with God and how Genesis 18, Sarah laughs at God. And we talked about our life and opened up to you about our own silent frustrations and the struggle in our own marriage. And what we want to do today is pick up where we left off. We're going to share one more silent frustration. And then we're going to switch gears and give you three steps to overcoming silent frustrations. And as I said last week, some of your frustrations are loud frustrations, but we want to help you overcome and for God to help you in your relationships. Yes. So we pick up in Genesis 20 and here you find that Abraham deceived Abimelech into thinking that Sarah wasn't his wife. And I just have to think that Sarah must have had some frustration in feeling like Abraham was putting himself before her. And I know that in our marriage, there have been seasons when there was frustration over feeling like Herbert was putting the church or the ministry as his top priority above myself or the children. And one of the things I love about Herbert is he is a hard worker. You know, honestly, I'm not sure I know anybody that I could say works harder. And he loves his work. But there was a season in our marriage when Herbert was carrying a very heavy weight on his shoulders, and he was navigating some very complex issues. He had some big projects that he was overseeing. He was also completing his book, But God, and he just had a lot going on. And during that season, he wasn't getting very much sleep, so he would work late into the hours, like he would go to bed after me and I'm the night owl in the family. And he would be working to the late hours, getting some sleep, but not very much. And then getting up before dawn to do it all over again and start working and start the process again. And in that season, he just wasn't giving his best to the family. And there were some things that I jotted down that I remember about that season. The first is that he was physically present but he wasn't emotionally present. Um, and I just remember there were times that we would be around the dinner table for our family dinners, and he was there in person, but he wasn't really there. Like, his mind was somewhere else. You could tell his thoughts were like, felt like a million miles away, and he just wasn't there mentally or emotionally. Um, also, he had less patience. His words were sharper. Um, his comments were more cutting. Um, he 
struggled to engage in conversation because he didn't have much reserve left after all that he was giving out at work. Um, he wasn't the jovial, fun person that we knew. Uh, we knew him as a fun, jovial personality. Um, he was more defensive, and he really was not able to receive any feedback or questions about his work and what he was doing. And so that season was definitely a season of frustration, like Sarah, maybe feeling like he was putting the work and ministry before family. Yeah, that's, that's real. And I actually have a, a struggle or a bent towards being a workaholic. So it's something I have to, 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 to process work uh, to, to ensure that I'm spending quality time with the family and not, not giving everything that I have to, to work. I enjoy what I do. I love work. And here's what I had to really come to grips with uh, to lead well at home. And that was a season, and I came out of that season. But I have learned myself that if I'm not careful, a season will become a life habit. And so I think for a lot of people that work, you, go, you say, well, I'm in a season. And then you go to another season that's named something else. And then you go to another season and you call it something else. And you go to another season and you call it something else. And really, you're just going from season to season to season. And you got good reasons, but you're living a lifestyle of neglecting family for work. And so I just think we got to be careful that we don't neglect family for work. All of our situations are different. All of our circumstances are different. We all have to work through our own set of circumstances. But I think we have to process that we make sure that we're taking care of home and not just taking care of work. And that was big for me. Uh, one of the struggles that I had uh, where I felt like Tiffany was putting something ahead of me, and that was the kids. We had little kids and we had kids really quickly together. At one point, we had four children, four and under. And you all know that little babies and little kids can be all consuming and you have one kid it's good because you can kind of say here you kind of you take it I'll take you take I take you get two kids you plan man to man you take one I take one you know what I mean you get three kids you're playing zone you know you take you you plan zone you get four you out of control you don't even know what you call it you just we out of control and we was out of control and I was feeling neglected and that was I remember having some resentment towards my own children because of I felt like Tiffany was giving her best to the children. We had to, we had to work through that silent frustration I was feeling. I, I want to switch gears with you because we really want to be practical and help you overcome frustration. Three steps to overcoming silent frustration. And, and the first one for me was this. Get emotionally healthy. Get emotionally healthy. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3 through 5 says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let, let me help you get rid of your speck in your eye when you can't see? You can't see. Everybody shout, can't see. Come on, I want you to write that right there in the chat line right now. Just write, can't see. You can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get the log in your own eye. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see 
well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And the reason people don't overcome silent frustrations is because they can't see what's really causing the frustration. People don't have a fixing problem. They have a seeing problem. They, they can't see the frustration. People get so focused on the fruit that they never identify the root of the frustration, but they're just arguing and bickering and fighting over the fruit. And yet you got to get to the root. You got to you got to be able to see. And the scripture says you can't see past the log in your own eye. And so to get to the root, you got to deal with your own logs. And I had my own logs. I, I had the blindness log I had to get removed out of my eye I was blind I was blind to my wrong thinking and I had wrong thoughts about marriage and I shared that week number one is what you know that's not so that destroys relationships I I was blind to my wrong motives I was self-centered I was selfish I was only thinking about me I, I was blind to the power of my words I was being condescending. I was tearing down instead of building up my bride. I, I was blind to the power of my actions, how my body language, how my actions made Tiffany feel. And to be really transparent, I still have blind spots. I still have areas that I don't see as clearly as I would like to see. You see, I don't see things as they are. I see them as I am. And understand this, you have blind spots. Right now, I can see some of your faces, but you can't. Right now, I have a blind spot. You can see my face. I can't see mine. I always try to look before I come out on the stage and just make sure I don't have a big booger hanging out of my nose. But right now, there might be one. Y'all help me out now. Come on, I can't see it. I can't see it. And, And in our relationships, we have blind spots. And here's what we have to do. We have to get one or two or three people that we can trust, to, to, that will speak truth to us, that will, that will point out our blind spots. You need a, fru- a few trusted people that will tell you the truth about yourself. You see, you, somebody says right now, no, 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 I'll, I'll point out my own blind spots. No, you can't see them. That's why they're called blind spots. Yeah. You, you got to get somebody else to say that's When you do that, that's how that's, how that's impacted people. When you say that, when you have that kind of body language, that you realize that's how you're making people feel. Somebody that will help you with your blind spots. James chapter 1 and verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. You got to have some people that you're quick to listen to. I've got two or three trusted people that I listen to. It's been game changing for my marriage, for my life. Slow, slow to speak. I'm not going to try to justify it. I want to lean in and listen. What are you seeing? I, I know I don't see it that way, but what are you seeing? And then slow to become angry. Don't become angry when you're getting feedback. People are helping you with your blind spots. A, a second log was the emotionally, emotional unhealth log had to be removed. I had to identify and admit the areas of emotional unhealth in my own life and then I had to work hard to get emotionally healthy and most people live in denial of their emotional unhealth they go around hurting others damaging their relationships injuring the people that they love the most and they can't even see it that they can't see how their emotional unhealth is causing damage to their relationships. And I had to get, there were two areas 
of emotional unhealth I had to overcome. And the first was trust issues from my dysfunctional upbringing. I had trust issues. I, I had a hard time trusting the woman that I loved and committed my life to. And emotionally unhealthy people deny the impact the past is having on their present. And if you had a dysfunctional upbringing and trauma and drama, it tends to impact your present and you've got to be able to identify. Don't cover up the brokenness. Don't cover up the pain and the weaknesses and the insecurities and the trauma. You've got to uncover it and go on a journey to be healed by the Lord. A second area of emotional unhealth was rejection and abandonment issues from my childhood. I, I feared being rejected and abandoned by my own wife. I brought it into our relationship. My parents got divorced and my mom and brother and sister moved to Rochester, New York. I, I stayed behind. I mean, there was a lot. I had to grow up quick, take care of myself. There was a lot of reasons why I was feeling what I was feeling, but didn't even know that it was unhealthy to be feeling what I am feeling. And I had to go to just on a journey to steps to emotional unhealth. I received pastoral counsel and counseling from a couple of leaders that invested into my life. Prayer, Bible, studying God's word, soul searching. I had to really soul search. I had to start connecting the dots that my past is impacting my present. And I had to go soul search. I had to change my thinking and my behavior. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the renewing of our minds. And I had to get my mind renewed so I could change my behavior. And I want somebody to hear this today. No matter the pain you've been through, no matter the trauma you've been through, no matter the rejection you've been through, no matter the abuse that you've been through, God wants to heal your heart. You can walk in wholeness. God can heal a broken heart. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 18 says, says if your heart is broken you'll find God right there if you're kicked in the gut anybody ever been kicked in the gut by people you've been kicked in the gut he'll help you catch your breath somebody today needs to hear me you're allowing the pain of the past to impact your present let God heal you he's a God that heals our emotional pain wounds and scars and I'll turn it to Tiffany because I'll start preaching in just a moment. But uh, let me say this. My biggest log was the pride log. I was full of pride. My, my pride showed up as I thought I was right and Tiffany was wrong. I, I had to make it my goal to be safe instead of being right. And I was so much more interested because of my pride in being right than being safe, which caused Tiffany to shut down and not communicate. I had to stop blaming and start changing. It felt better to blame Tiffany for our marriage problems. But blaming felt good, but it made our marriage worse. Blaming Tiffany did not help our marriage. Me identifying the log that was in my eye instead of focusing on the speck that was in her, because she has some specks. But I had to focus on my own logs. And focusing on me and changing me impacted our marriage for the good. 
Yes, and I actually brought many logs into our relationship as well. Um, the first one that I needed to remove um, was the unrealistic view of marriage. And I kind of talked about this last week, but I entered marriage um, just with this unhealthy view that we were going to just enter into bliss. It would be sunshine and roses. And whenever conflict did arise, that we would be able to navigate it and get to the other side side with no tension and no frustration. And that just was not the case. And I really thought that if something happened, if there was tension, that I had the ability to just do whatever to make Herbert happy. And of course, I failed at that miserably. And I had to come to the realization that I am not God that only God can fulfill Herbert and make Herbert happy. And then I also had to realize that my view of having no tension or no conflict in our marriage was just a fantasy. And one of the scriptures that really helped me was Psalm 34, 14. And it says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And I had to learn not just to be a peacekeeper, not just to do whatever I could to try to keep everything feeling good, but that I needed to pursue peace and become a peacemaker. And so for me, that meant that I had to do some things that I wasn't used to doing. Um, One of those was that I had to make healthy the goal and not just feelings of happiness. Um, I had to engage in conversations that honestly at the time felt very difficult for me. They felt very uncomfortable, but I just had to make myself go into those uncomfortable places. Um, I had to speak honestly, um, which was kind of uncomfortable at first because to me, speaking honestly meant that I might say something that could hurt Herbert's feelings. And then, of course, that would bring on the negative feelings. So it was just a cycle. Um, And then really, the last thing was that I had to believe God's word and what his word said about the power of peace in relationships. And peace is the goal. And sometimes you have to navigate tensions and frustrations and conflicts to get to the other side of peace. Um, Another log that I had to remove from my eye was the victim mentality. I'm not sure where it happened, but somewhere along the way, I began to identify as the victim in our relationship. And this was a very dangerous place to be because when you're the victim, you are basically taking away any power you have to make change in your relationship. You are taking away ownership for your part in where you are in your relationship. And so when I was the victim, it was so easy to play the blame game and to blame Herbert for everything that I felt like was wrong or wherever there was tension or frustration. Um, And I had to get to a place where I was willing to remove that log from my eye to stop identifying as the sole victim and accept that we both played a part in getting to the place that we were in our relationship. And once I was able to do that, then healing was able to start. Um, Another was I had to remove the shame log. And I didn't realize this um, entering into marriage, but I was so hard on myself. I had perfectionistic tendencies. And so anytime um, I made a mistake or where I felt like I didn't um, reach the mark that I wanted to reach as a wife, or whenever there was conflict, I would just spiral into shame. Um, 
and I would lose confidence in myself. And really, this wasn't fair to Herbert in our relationship because I could take little things that were filtered through shame and make them way bigger than they needed to be. And so for me, I had to get to a place where I could identify the root of shame. And once I did that, it allowed me to filter my, um, my reactions in situations, my responses in situations, my thoughts, to filter those through the filter of shame to have uh, a clear picture on why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And then honestly, because of shame, it was so easy for me to isolate myself and to just kind of live my life with my own thoughts. And I'm telling you, if you are living with only your thoughts circulating and only your feelings circulating, you're in a dangerous place for your relationship because you're not getting outside counsel. You're not getting the encouragement and the support from people. And so that led to the fourth log that I had to remove, and that was to remove the log of isolation. And you know, when you live in isolation, it actually prevents you from seeing your problems clearly. Because as Herbert kind of said, you're only seeing it from one perspective, your perspective. Um, And for me, the biggest factor to help to remove isolation from my life, and I did have to intentionally remove isolation from my life, was through my small group. And my small group was the first step of me being honest about where I was, what I was feeling, where I could actually get wise counsel, encouragement, and the support and prayer from other women who really wanted me to thrive in my relationship. And so um, that was key for me. Okay, the second thing that we need to overcome, silent frustration, is to attack the issue and not each other. Yes. And I think for so long, I was so focused on attacking Herbert versus attacking the root of our relationship issues. Um, And here's the thing. To attack an issue, you actually have to talk about it. And as Herbert said, I wasn't very good at communicating honestly about how I felt in our relationship for a very long time. And so Herbert was blindsided and hurt when he found out how I was really feeling in our relationship. And it honestly was not fair to Herbert because how can I expect him to maybe make changes or grow in areas of our relationship if he doesn't even know the areas that I'm wanting him to grow in. Um, It was just, it was unrealistic and it was unfair to Herbert. And so um, once I was able to identify that I need to actually attack the issue once I was able to open up. Um, One of the greatest decisions I made for myself and honestly for our marriage was to get Christian counseling. And Herbert and I, we had grown so much in our marriage because we wanted to thrive. We wanted health in our marriage. And so we did the work and we talked and we overcame a lot and we grew. But there were things that I kept hitting the same wall over and over and over. And it was so frustrating for me. And so I knew that if I'm going to get past these walls that I keep hitting, I need outside counsel from somebody who is experienced in this, and from fresh eyes. And really, counseling helped me so much to identify roots in my own life that were negatively impacting our marriage. And I really believe that Christian counseling was a catalyst to help us to move forward in health. So good. And I I would say that 
one of the things I had to do to really help our marriage and instead of attacking Tiffany to attack the issue was stop being defensive. And so as Tiffany was opening up and sharing what she was really feeling, I had to stop being defensive and, and blaming and start leaning in to what she was saying. And that was an area of growth for me, not justifying, not, not, not trying to explain, explain it away, but to really hear her. And as I stopped being defensive, I started to care more about what she was feeling. And you know what I learned as I was listening to, listening to how she was feeling in her perspective? I started to realize that we could be looking at the same issue and neither one of us are wrong. We're both right. It's like looking at a big elephant. We're just seeing a piece of the elephant, a different part of it in a, in, in a different way. And so I began to lean into her feelings and lean into her perspective, which was game changing to our marriage. Stop being defensive and listen and lean in and value her perspective as much as I valued my perspective. It wasn't about being right. It wasn't about attacking her. It was about let's fix the issues and let's grow in our marriage so that we can be healthy. Well, number three is this. There's a third one that we want to point out to you today that's huge. And a lot of couples miss it. A lot of people in their relationships, their dating, their marriage, they miss it in their business and work relationships and family relationships. And that is this. Keep Jesus at the center. Yeah, it's so good. And when we keep Jesus at the center, we are on the potter's wheel. We are in process of sanctification. We are becoming more like Christ, and we are desiring to become more like Christ. Um, I love, too, that when we keep Jesus at the center, we follow God's word instead of our flesh or instead of secular opinion or advice. Um, and if you read 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter is known as the love chapter, and it talks about all the things that love is. It talks about how it's patient, kind, it doesn't envy, um, it doesn't boast, dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't keep record of wrongs. You can read that chapter yourself. Um, and what I love about being... Um, keeping Jesus at the center is that in those moments when we feel impatient, the spirit helps us to be patient. And in those moments when we don't want to be kind, the spirit helps us not to make cutting remarks. Um, and in those moments when we just want to keep record of all the wrong things they've done, the Spirit helps us to forgive. And the, the Spirit is so powerful. And the Word of God, it is full of relationship advice. If you read the Word of God, it will have so much advice for you. And really, the last thing that I want to share on keeping Jesus the center is that when He's the center, we humble ourselves, we listen to the other person to understand and we have a humble heart to say, I'm sorry. So good. I, I want to just wrap up with giving some just practical ways we keep Jesus at the center. Because a lot of people say Jesus is at the center. Yeah. But saying it and living it is two different things. Mm -hmm. And for your relationships to be really be impacted in a positive way, Jesus has to be at the center. Here's just some practical ways. Don't use God to run from God. If Jesus is going to be at the center, don't use God to run from God. Don't do for God and not be with God. You got to be in his presence. You got to read his word. You got to you got to you got to pray. You got to you got to read your Bible. You got to be in church. Don't, listen, don't pray for God to do your will instead of you surrendering to his will. Yeah. But but we, we can start justifying 
using God on why we're not going to really, really spend time with God and telling God what we want instead of surrendering to his will. And we start looking at his will like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Or God's will is are you praying first? Are you reading your Bible? Are you worshiping? Are you going to church? Are you serving? Are you in a small group? Are you tithing? Are you growing in the fruit of the spirit? Are you doing what I'm asking you to do? And then it will so that it can show up and impact your relationship. So I encourage you, make God first by spending time with God. And second of all is this, when Jesus is first, we live to outserve each other instead of to outselfish each other. And my flesh can be very selfish. My flesh wants to put me first. My flesh wants to think about me and not think about Tiffany. But when I'm living by the Spirit and I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, and boy, this has been a growth for me. I even saw it in the last couple of weeks. Tiffany sent me a text and she was apologizing about something. And I said, I don't feel that way at all. Um, I want to serve you. I want to honor you. And that was really my heart on how do I serve my wife versus just me being served. And when you're full of the spirit and Jesus is at the center, you're looking, how do you serve the other person? Philippians 2 and verse 4 says, do, don't look out only for your own interest. And that's where relationship breakdowns happening for some of you. Me, myself, you don't understand. Me, me, I. Don't just look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And the last one is this. When Jesus is at the center, we forgive and then 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 we forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. I can forgive Tiffany. I can forgive the woman that sexually abused me. I can forgive things my parents did. I can forgive friends who have hurt me. I can forgive other people because you know why? God has forgiven me and I've messed up. I've, I've done some big stuff. I've done some stuff I'm not proud of. And I thank God for his forgiveness. And if God can forgive me, I have to extend grace and to forgive Tiffany. Some relationships are destroyed because people get hysterical and they just lose it and flip out on people. But most relationships struggle and are damaged because people get historical and they're always bringing up the past. And I'm not trying to minimize the past of your relationship and the pains and the wounds. You've been hurt. You've been done wrong. They walked out on you. They cheated on you. They, 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 they hurt you. But to have a relationship go forward, it will require forgiveness. If Tiffany and I still held grudges on the way that we hurt each other, our relationship would not move forward. And the only way that I'm able to forgive my wife for any hurts is Jesus is at the center and the Holy Spirit helps me to forgive heavenly father right now there are relationships between husband and wife and between between children and parents between friends between family members at work that are being destroyed 
And Lord, we need you at the center. We need you to step in. We need you to take over. We need you to show up and work. God, would you have your way in our relationships? Let healing flow. Let forgiveness flow. Let restoration flow. Let peace flow. Let love flow like a river and heal relationships, I pray. In Jesus' name, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed at all of our locations online there at Mabel Bassett. And I just want to ask a question. Is Jesus at the center of your life on this Mother's Day? Are you, are you living for Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Not, not are you religious, but is Jesus at the center? And if you would say, Pastor, he's not. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. I'm not living for Jesus. Pastor, I'm, 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 not, I'm far from God. I'm not in right relationship with God. And today is your day on this Mother's Day to give your life to Jesus, to make him the Lord of your life, to rededicate your life back to the Lord. God wants to forgive you. He's going to help you forgive others. But first, you got to allow God to forgive you of all your sins and all of your past. And he wants to do that today. If I'm talking to you, as I count to three, I want you to raise your hand high here at Oklahoma City, Midwest City, Northwest, Mabel Bassett. They're online. Just shoot your hand up high and say, include me in this prayer to have my sins forgiven by God. One two, three. Just lift it high. Thank you so much. Others today, thank you so much. See your hand there. Thank you. See your hand. Come on. Thank you so much. Others today, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Midwest City. Thank you, Northwest. Come on online. Just slip that hand up or even click the, 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 the button there that says that raise your hand button right there. Come on. Who else right now just says today's my day to say yes to Jesus. I see your hand there. Others today. I'm going to ask every hand that's raised to pray this prayer with me. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it with your heart. And the Bible says, you will be forgiven. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I turn from sin and I turn my life to Jesus. And today on Mother's Day, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died on the cross, rose again. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I will live for him the rest of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name. I pray.